If you have your Bible's electronic devices, you can click to or turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, and if not, uh, no worries. The words are going to come up on the screen as we read the Scripture. We just walk through this story. And so those of you that have been with us the last several weeks, you know that we've been taking like Old Testament uh, characters and we've been walking through their life and we're like doing one little snapshot of their life so that you can understand their life. And so we looked at Caleb. We've looked at jo uh, Joshua uh, last week. And so now we come to David. And so when you look at David's life, you realize that David is this guy that it's really hard to explain his life in like, like 32 minutes. It's really hard to explain his life in like a couple of sermons. So it's going to take us four or five weeks, and we're just going to slowly walk through David's life. I think David's life has a lot to, to offer to us that we can glean some things out of his life that can help us uh, where we're at. And so we're just going to start that journey today. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the life of David. And so I've entitled this message, A Man After God's Own Heart. That's not me being creative at all. That's just what the Scripture says about David. The Scripture says about David that David was this guy that was a man after God's own heart. And that does not mean that David was perfect. It doesn't mean that David was without sin. Uh, it doesn't mean any of those things because it, when, when you know and we're going to discover David's life, you realize that, that David had some sin in his life and David had a bunch of faults and, and David had like this checkered past, but God used him. And God used him in a deep way. So what it does mean when it says, that he was a man after God's own heart is he desired to follow God. He desired to be obedient to him to the very best, best of his ability. He followed him. He, he walked with him. And so we're going to start out the story when David was really young, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and, and he was tending sheep in the, in the field, and he was a young man. And it's when God first called him to where David realized that God wanted to do something in his life. And so this morning I have, I have three principles, I have three things for us this morning, and I'm praying that this ministers you, to you as it has ministered to me as I've studied and researched for this sermon. So the first one is this, that if you desire to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, then these three things you have to be aware of. The first one is this, you have to be aware that God has a plan for your life, and God, it, regardless of who you are. Regardless of the stage of life, God has, God has a plan for, for your life. And, and that plan for your life, and we're going to see this over and over in this story, it's a plan for your life not only in your church but, but in the community. And so we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're just going to start reading in verse 1. We're just going to walk through this together. And we're going to look at, at this period when, when Samuel, and you need to know who Samuel is. Samuel was like, was like the priest and chief justice. And so Samuel was this guy that also believed that God had a plan for his life uh, in his church, in his community. So he was a priest, he served in his local church, and he was a chief justice. And so Samuel's position would be a chief justice of Israel, so he served in, in politics. And so 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, here we go. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? And, and, and let's just go on. For, for fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I've selected for myself a king from his sons. So all of a sudden, God gives Samuel a different assignment. And God gives Samuel assignment, says, you know what? I've rejected Saul as king. Saul was this guy, a lot of talent. He was, but, 
a lot of charisma, a lot of talent, but he was like this egomaniac. The power went to his head. He's corrupt. And all of a sudden, Israel is like dividing and Israel is going sideways. And God says, we need a new king. And we're going to remove Saul and we're going to put somebody else in place. And Samuel was this guy that believed that God wanted to use him in his church and in the community. And here at Fellowship of the Rockies, we strongly believe that. That's one of the reasons why we're so active in our community. I mean, even over the last 18 months in the pandemic, we haven't pulled away from serving the community. Fact is, in a lot of respects, we've even, we've even pressed harder into serving our community. And many of you know, over the last 18 months, all of the things that we've done. Uh, we've done First Responders Day, where we fed police and sheriff and paramedics and first responders in our parking lot. We had food trucks and for the day. And so we brought them in and we told them, thank you. Many of you know about... Uh, uh, food truck Wednesday that we did for Parkview Hospital to where every Wednesday we sent food trucks over there with ministry partners and that we fed them, anybody that wanted to, to, to eat for free, uh, we fed over like a thousand, a thousand Parkview employees there. Uh, fact is, tomorrow, Monday morning, one of the schools that we have adopted, uh, Beulah Heights Elementary School, uh, they're bringing in their teachers and, and administrative staff, and, and they're coming in for like an in-service or, or teacher training and looking to the new school year. And we're, we're, we're offering them our facility. We're not only doing that, but we're bringing in ministry partners to feed them breakfast and feed them lunch and just honor them. And so we believe that we should be active not only in our church but in the community. Some of you may know the ministry that we had kind of pre-pandemic and, and where, we, where we are now. Uh, that pre-pandemic, uh, we were taking a team into the Pueblo County Jail, and it would take our worship services on a thumb drive, and we would go onto the floor with the inmates, male and females, and we would go onto on the floor. We would we would would play our worship service, and they worshipped along with with the video, and then they would hear a sermon. At the end, they could come down for prayer, and so we had prayer partners that would 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 meet with the inmates. And so, just real quickly, one of, one of my favorite stories, just one of my favorite stories is we had a man in our church that also believed that God wants, wants, him, wants, wants to use him in his church and in his community. We had a man in our church uh, that, that served on that prayer team, but he was also a, a detective um, in, in our community. And so he went down, and, and, and he was praying for this inmate. And, and so I kind of overheard afterwards. And so he had finished praying for the inmate. The inmate looked up at him and says, hey, I think I know you. He's like, no, you don't know me. Oh, yeah, I think I know you. He goes, no, you don't know me. And, and the detective's kind of looking away and not really making eye contact. He goes, no, I never forget a face. I know you. And he goes, buddy, you don't know me. And, and so you don't know me. You don't know me. And so all of a sudden the jailer guy came in, and he's like clearing the room. Inmates get out of here, and, you know, they're clearing the room. And so when the inmates walked away, the detective looked at us and says, I put him in here. He says... <laughs> He said, I arrested him. It was me. I am the one that did that. And, and I thought, what a, listen, what a beautiful picture of the church, right? Just what a beautiful picture of the church that, that here is the guy that actually arrested him. And he would say that that guy wasn't a very good guy. And he is the guy that actually arrested him. But then on the other side of that, he's willing to minister to him and he's willing to pray for him. We believe, and this is what the scriptures teach, we believe that guess what? God wants to use you. And God wants to use you in the local church, and God wants to use you in, in the community to where you don't come to that place to where you just compartmentalize your faith to where all of a sudden you believe your spirituality, your, your, your relationship with, to God is what happens in like one hour in a worship service. 
And, and, but when you look at Scripture, you realize, especially in these passages, that God wants to use you. And God wants to use you in your home, and He wants to use you in church. He wants to use you in the community. He doesn't want you to compartmentalize your faith. One man once said, any religion that cannot be lived out at the home and work is just some meaningless ritual that we go through. And so God wanted to use Samuel, and God wanted to use Samuel to anoint the next king. And, and he said, he said, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? And so this is like a rebuke from God. To where Samuel, Samuel, Samuel is the one that ordained Saul. Samuel is the one that mentored Saul. Samuel is the one that put Saul into position. And so Samuel, listen, Samuel has a lot of emotional relationship at stake here. He loved Saul. Saul, I mean, Saul was impressive. And Saul, listen, Saul had charisma. I mean, Saul was like, like he, what, what Scripture said, Saul had no equal. And so he had charisma. He was a people's choice and all those other things. And, but Saul wasn't a man after God's own heart. And Saul is like dividing the nation of Israel. You see, the problem with Saul is the power. The power had corrupted him. And he became this egomaniac to where it's all about him. And Samuel was dis disappointed because he had, he had invested a lot in Saul. So we, we just go on and read. And it says, the Lord said to Samuel, verse 1, How long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as, as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected for myself a king from his sons. Samuel asked him, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. So now you get, now you get some insight into Saul, right? Now you, all of a sudden you get in some insight into Saul's life. Samuel knows him, and he's worried that, you know what? If Saul gets word of this, guess what? He's going to kill me. Goes on, the Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now listen, God is not telling Samuel to lie. God is telling Samuel, you know what? Just be discreet. Don't say you're going there to anoint the next king. Just say, you know what? I'm just going there to offer a sacrifice. And just, just be discreet because Samuel, Samuel's worried just like everybody else was. Saul was already getting word that God was going to select a new leader. He's going to anoint a new king. And so Saul wanted to, to protect his power and protect his reign. And so word is out, and word is out that guess what? If Saul catches wind of that, Saul's killing the next guy. And so Samuel's worried. Samuel's worried for his life. And Samuel's worried that if, if Saul finds out, even though we have a close relationship, guess what? He, he's going he's gonna to kill me. To, to make matters even worse, Samuel's going to have to travel through Saul's hometown. Sometimes God asks us to do the uncomfortable, right? Sometimes God asks us to do some hard stuff. Sometimes God asks us to do some stuff that takes trust and takes faith in him. Verse 3, it says, then, then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you're, you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I will indicate to you. And Samuel did what the Lord directed, and he went to Bethlehem. And when the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, Do you come in peace? Now listen, so, so, he's, so, so put on like, like Samuel's... Uh, politician hat because he's chief justice and he's the priest and so he shows up as a government official to Bethlehem and you know the first thing they ask him do you come in peace that's how you know listen in the Old Testament and we can we could of course and I'm not going to stay on this long but we could make some parallels of today that's how you know when a country is in unrest 
That's how you know when a country, when the foundations of a country has been shaken. You see it right here. Do you come in peace? In other words, when, when a country is unrest, let's just talk about the Old Testament real quick. When the country is unrest is, is when they are unrest, when the foundations have been shaken, is when they no longer trust the government, when they no longer trust government officials, they no longer trust politicians. When, the, when a government official shows up that they don't believe that that government official, that politician is there to help them, that politician is there to harm them. Or they believe that, guess what, they can't be trusted. And so you see this right here. You see when a country in the Old Testament is in unrest and they're becoming divided is when they no longer trust. They no longer trust the politicians. They no longer trust government officials. And so I'll, I'll move on so I don't get in any trouble this morning. Verse 5. <laughs> we good? We good. Okay. <laughs> So he says, I come in peace. Probably didn't believe him at that point. I come in peace. And he replied, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come uh, with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. And so consecration just means prayer. In the Old Testament, there were some rituals that they had to do. There was, there was, there was ceremonial washing that they would do. They, had, they, would, they would put on different garments, and they would purify themselves, and then they would, they would go for prayer. And so Samuel knew that, guess what, he's about ready to anoint the, the next king, the person that would take Saul's place. And, and so he's supposed to bring all of his sons together. It's really important. He has eight sons, and he only brings seven. We're going to understand that. So, so verse 6, and when they arrive, Samuel saw Eliab, and Eliab was the oldest, and so he saw Eliab and said, said certainly the Lord's anointed one is is here before him. And so Eliab was like the logical choice. He was the oldest son, and normally it was the oldest son that was anointed as the next king. Uh, he was also, um, he was also ath athletic. He was also uh, talented. Uh, he was firstborn and some of those other things. And so, and even that, it's kind of interesting, but Eliab's name meant my father is God. And so it would be, it'd be a logical choice for Samuel, like, well, here's Eliab. Certainly that's the guy. And isn't it true a lot of times, just like Samuel, and Samuel's like a good man, and Samuel wanted to please God, and Samuel wanted to follow God, but, but he's swayed, right, by externals. He's, he's uh, uh, swayed by the externals, the talents, the things that you can see of someone. And, and he's swayed, maybe another way to put it, he's swayed by human appearance. And sometimes, guess what? We're the same way, right? Sometimes we're, we're swayed by human appearance, whether it's the looks, it's attractiveness, it's the athletic ability, it's their position, it's their popularity, it's their charisma. It's, it's, I, mean, I mean, it's their charisma, it's the way that they can work a crowd. That was Saul. It was some of those other things. And if we're not careful, guess what? We're swayed by that, right? We're swayed by the, how somebody looks, or we're swayed by their talent or their athletic ability, how well they can sing, the charisma that they have, the attractiveness. We're swayed by the externals. I mean, we want to know, I mean, how many Instagram followers do they have? How many Twitter followers? How big is their social media footprint? And all of those other things. And if we're not careful, we will get caught in that trap because guess what? We live in a time, and guess what Samuel did too? Lived in a time where charisma meant more than character. Appearance meant more than integrity. 
I mean, it, it, was, it was prevalent in those times as well. How many times, guess what? How many times have we looked at, at someone's appearance and we bought into that and we were swayed by the charisma, but all of a sudden their charisma would take them places that their character could not keep them? Or we, we were swayed by their talent. We were swayed by their ability. And, and we were so disappointed when all of a sudden we realized that, guess what? That man or woman, their, their, their appearance, their intelligence, their charisma, it would not keep, it could take them places that, guess what? That their character and their integrity could not keep them. See, this is the problem with Saul. Saul's life is coming apart at the seams. And as a result of that, so is his, his leadership, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, listen, this, this is so interesting. He says... Do not look at his appearance or stature, because I have rejected him. Humans, and we know this is true, right? Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible. Humans see the external. Do they have the look? Do they have the charisma? Do they have the talent? Do they have the athletic ability? But watch this. But the Lord, Lord sees the heart. That's why, that's why David, David wasn't perfect, right? They, David had a checkered past. David had some faults. David had some sin. But God could see his heart, and he could see that, guess what? David is doing the best he can. He wants to be obedient. He wants to follow me. And so this is one of the reasons that David is considered a man after God's own heart, not so much because of the externals, but because of the internals, because of his, his heart. And, and he, would, he would, would grow up to be this leader. If we, I mean, I'm just telling you, in our, in our time, if we could just get beyond all the externals, And see a person for their character and for their integrity and not just judge them based upon their looks, their body, how they carry themselves, their charisma, their attractiveness, their intelligence, their position in life, who they are, all of those other things. Because how many times have we trusted someone and we've been swayed by all of that? only to be devastated, only to be hurt when all of a sudden the truth came out in verse 8. Watch this. So Jesse called Anadab, that's, that's, that's son number two, and, and presented him to Samuel. And the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. And so Samuel said, then Jesse pre presented Shema. But Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. And then Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, and Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Now here's the crazy thing. Jesse has eight boys. He only brought seven to the party. He only brought seven in the room. He doesn't even bring David. How would you like to be David? How would you like to be David? That your dad, right? Your dad knows about what's ready to happen, what's ready to go down. And your dad doesn't even believe enough in you to bring you into the room. And not only that, the brothers don't. I mean, how, how would you like to be David? Put yourself in David's shoes. I mean, they, they give David this task. David, you just stand, you just tend the sheep. That's probably all you can do. Now, some think that maybe, Dave, maybe Jesse, David's dad, didn't bring him into the room because he was too young and felt that. Or maybe there were some other things. We don't know. But we just know this. David's not in the room. And remember, Saul, Samuel told Jesse, bring all your boys in the room. And he only brings seven. Listen, let me tell you something. Even though your dad or mom may not believe in you or have believed in you, God believes in you. 
Even though you may be in a family and you may be in a family situation or you may have some relationships around you right now and nobody believes in you, I am here to tell you God doesn't just look at the externals. He looks at the internals and God believes in you. This is the point of this story. I mean, when you look at this story, Jesse is not even bringing David in the room. And David understood. Listen, you're, when, when we understand that God wants to use you, God wants to use you in your church, and God wants to use you in your home, and God wants to use you in your community. David would grow up to be king, and David would get that. Samuel would get that. And I'm here to tell you this morning that regardless if someone believes in you around you, God believes in you. And maybe you just need to hear that. Not based upon your externals, not based upon your talent, your, char- your, your charisma, or anything like that. God believes in you, and God wants to use you, and God has called some of you. Well, fact is, all of you, to not only steward and not only allow him to use you in a church, but to allow him to use you in your occupation, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a real estate person, a nurse, an um, a electrician, a, a plumber, a contractor, an accountant, an engineer, and if I missed anyone, you get the picture. I mean everybody, right? It got Because you're, you're your work is a major portion of your life, whether you work in the home or outside of the home. And you're going to come up against people that will never darken the doors of a church. And God, desi- God desires to use you. And, and just one of my favorite stories about Pueblo and, and how, how God used this individual in our life that wasn't even wasn't a pastor. In fact, he was, he was a real estate agent. Uh, we moved here in 1995 to plant the church in 97. Uh, we, we finally sold our house in Houston, Texas. And there's a, there's a whole story behind that. And, and so we really, we really wanted to, to buy a house. But I, I didn't know if we could buy a house. I mean, uh, prices was much difference between here and Texas. And, and I changed professions and started a church and wasn't taking much of a salary. And it's going to be hard to scrape a down payment together. But our family, our family really, we really wanted to buy a house. And, and, um, and so it's just a crazy story. Our daughter, Brittany, our oldest daughter, she's like reading the paper. And I guess she could feel the stress in the home. And so she's like reading the, the real estate portion in the paper back when we read a newspaper like that. And, and, and so she finds a house, and she circles it and says, this is our house. And so the price was just like really, really low, and I'm like, no, it's probably trashed inside. I, you know, and Karen's like, well, I think we need to go look at it and being the spiritual leader of my home. I'm like, that's crazy. I'm not wasting my time. And she's like... <laughs> She's like, well, I'm going tomorrow. I've already called the agent. I'm going tomorrow. I've got an appointment at 9. Well, you can waste your time. I'm not wasting my time. I mean, that's just... And so anyway. And so they go in the house, and the house was unbelievable. It wasn't trashed. It was this couple that was wanting to retire. In fact, is there a Christian couple? We still have stayed in contact. It's the house we're still in. And so uh, they, they needed to sell the house in three days so they could buy their dream home out on the Mesa. And so after three days, they're going to take all the contracts. They're going to decide. And so we go in the house. They go in the house. They call me and says, this is our house. God told us. <laughs> and so I drive over there. They push me through the house really, really fast. And then I still remember this. We're in the, we're in the foyer of the house. We're about ready to leave. And the realtor was an older man. And the realtor looked at me and says, well, are you going to make an offer or not? 
And I go, ah, I don't know. We're going to think about it. You know, the, my wife and the girls, make the offer, make the offer, you know. And, and so really what was going on inside of me is I didn't want to disappoint my family. I didn't know that if we could get approved. I didn't know if we could afford it. I didn't know if we'd get the down payment together. All of those things were working. And so I says, well, I don't know. He goes, well, what do you mean you don't know? You, you, only, gonna, you, you only have two days. They're going to review that. You, you Just make the offer. And so I was like, well, I, I don't know. And then all of a sudden he looked at me and got real stern, and he looked at me and he said, uh, he was an older man, and he says, son, he said, maybe you just need to make the offer and trust God. And I'm like, well, I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to say stuff like that. And he's like, well, I don't, he said, honestly, I'm at the age, I don't care who you are. He said, you see, five years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. And the doctors, they gave me a year to live. I'm in remission today. And you know what I found? I have found God to be faithful. Maybe you should trust him too. And maybe he'll just be faithful to give you this house. We made an offer. And how, I mean, how can you refuse that? And uh, out, of, out of three offers that were made, um, uh, our offer was the one that was selected. That real estate, I still remember that man to this day. I still, when I talk about faith and when I think about faith, I still remember he wasn't a pastor. He served in his local church. He was a Christian. He was a believer. But he spoke. And see, this is what he's talking about. God, listen, God has a plan for your life, and God desires, listen, God desires God just desires to use it. The second thing is this you have to understand is you have to participate in his plan. You have to participate in his plan. David's just out. You know what he's doing? He's just out tending sheep. He, he's doing exactly what God had, or exactly what his dad had asked him to do. He's just being obedient to his dad. Probably wants to be at the party. Probably wants to be in the house. He probably feels a little bit of rejection that his seven brothers get to go and he doesn't go. But he's just out tending sheep. And, and all of a sudden, an assignment comes to him on the day that he least expected it. And that's kind of how it works. You just, all you have to do is just be obedient. And this assignment comes to us sometimes when we least expect it. It was true in my life. I, I, I met Karen and my wife in 19, uh, well, she's not here. <laughs> so even, even if I get the date wrong, who, you know, <laughs> So I think it was 1982. I know this. I know we were married in 83. And so I know that. I'm sure. She'll be in the 1030, and I'm, I'll, I'll be very careful. And so, uh, <laughs> and so we met in 1982. We were married in 1980. We met in 1982, married in 83. And so I did not know that day when I went to church that I was going to meet my wife. It just seemed like any other church service. It just seemed like any other and, and God, had, and, and so anyway, so I met her, and I invited her out after church for, 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 uh, for a hamburger, and, we, and so little did she know by accepting that offer that she would not only become a wife, but one day, like God would trick her, and she'd become a pastor's wife, and, because she had, we, neither one of us had no clue about that. I wasn't in ministry at the time. And then we, we got married in 1984. We did a youth camp together. Uh, I was, uh, I was a, a junior high sponsor. She was a, a female sponsor, you know, male, female at youth camp. And crazy thing, uh, we had like 500 kids at this youth camp, and the camp pastor, 
I, I hadn't really had hardly any conversations with him. And it kind of creeped me out. But, uh, but after one of the services, he walked down, looked at me and says, hey, when I was preaching, God spoke to me. and He wanted me to let you know that one day you're going to be a pastor. And I literally laughed. I mean, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And so he says, no, I'm serious. I believe I have the gift of discernment, and you're going to be a pastor one day. And it, it wouldn't be for like 10 years. And that always bothered me. And I, and I was in engineering at the time. And so it always bothered me. And it wouldn't be until 1994. And we just continued to tend sheep. We just continued to, to serve in the local church. I was a deacon. Uh, Karen was in the worship ministry. She worked part-time in the, in the church office as an assistant to the worship pastor. And then one night, one afternoon, our pastor, and it was a large church of about six or 7,000 people, our pastor, Dr. Kurt Dodd, called and said, hey, do you guys mind if my wife and I stop by? We need to talk to you. And honestly, I thought we were getting kicked out of the church. I thought, okay. <laughs> I thought we were, because I, I did a youth, youth at risk ministry at the time, and so I had the Crips and the Latin Kings and the Bloods, and we'd put them all together, and we did this worship service, and these kids were always doing something to the deacons and, and that they shouldn't be doing, and they thought it was stinking hilarious because it wigged out the deacons, and so I thought, okay, this is it. I'm, we'll have to look for another church, and so they came, and they said, hey, I think God's hand is on you. Would you guys be interested in going to Pueblo, Colorado and starting a church with us? It was just like any other day. It was this time of just waiting. And so he may not call everyone. Listen, he may not call everyone to go into ministry like me out of the, out of the, the marketplace into ministry. But he does have a plan for everyone's life. And listen, when, just like David, David was just tending sheep. David was just being obedient. Can I just tell you, it can reduce some of the stress out of our life. Because when, 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 you just, when you're obedient, when you just follow him... You don't have to be in the right place at the right time when God's in it. Sometimes we waste so much of our energy trying to network, trying to be friends with people for whether it's gain in the marketplace or whatever that we really don't like just because we know that they can help us advance in our career or we're trying to work the system, we're trying to work, and that can give us a lot of stress. When God, listen, when God's in it, you don't have to be at the right place at the right time. God will see you. He goes on, verse 11. So Samuel asked him, it's crazy, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest. <laughs> it's just kind of sarcastic, right? Uh, you know, we got this kid out in the field. But right now, he's tending sheep. Just to let you know, that's all we let him do is tend sheep. And, and Samuel says, well, go get him. We won't sit down until we eat. And so even the father's surprised. I mean, probably the brothers are surprised. Listen, I'm telling you, even if those around you do not believe in you, God believes in you. Don't give people so much weight in your life. God sees. God sees. The third and the last thing, the, oh, verse 12, and then we'll move on. So Jesse sent for him, and he had beautiful eyes, healthy, handsome in appearance. And the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So all of a sudden, Jesse knew what was going down. The brothers knew what was going down. And the third and last thing is this. God uses ordinary people. Aren't you glad? God, listen, God uses ordinary people. You know what David's doing? He's tending sheep. That's all his family would trust him with. That's the lowest of low tasks in a family. The brothers, they got all the great tasks. The brothers, they got all the, the responsible tasks. All they trusted David with is just sit out in the field 
and tend some sheep. And you look at this and you realize that we never, we never get a glowing report about David like we did with Saul, that he was without equal, that, that he has this unbelievable charisma, that he has this unbelievable talent. Or any of those, you know what? We don't get, all, you know what the scripture says? He's just a man after God's own heart. It's character over charisma. It's integrity over talent. And when you look at this in God's family, Success is defined not so much as accomplishments, but just faithfulness. Verse 13, so so Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. And from that day forward, then, then, then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. And so you wonder, you just have to wonder, what were the brothers thinking at this point? What were the brothers, what was the dad thinking? That David... David's the what? It's not Eliab, the oldest, the most talented. It's, it's David? Because God uses. God uses ordinary people. It's interesting. David had to wait 20 years to become king. You get a glimpse into David's character and integrity, David's humility. David, when he was anointed king, didn't run into Saul's office and say, hey, the corner office is now mine. Clear your stuff out. Get your boxes. You get out of here. God has anointed me king over Israel. You are done. You don't see that in David's life. You know what David does? Out of obedience, that next day he just goes back to tending sheep. He did exactly what he did. And so maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you are waiting. Maybe you're waiting for God to do something in your life. Maybe you're waiting for a prayer request. Maybe we're waiting for a situation to change in your life, whether it's at work or in your home, in a relationship. And maybe you're tired of waiting because guess what? None of us like to wait. And a lot of times we think that when we're waiting, God is like doing nothing. Can I tell you when we're waiting, that's when God does some of his best work. It took him 20 years to prepare David to be king. So that when he blessed David, it wouldn't destroy David. And he had to deal with his, some, some character stuff. He had to deal with some emotional stuff. He had to mature him, teach him how to trust him. And you realize that David had to, God had to strip some things off of David's life. Sometimes the reason God waits to bless us is he wants us to be sure that we can handle the blessing so the blessing doesn't destroy us, so we can steward it properly. You see it all through Scripture. You see people wait. Moses. Moses had to learn to wait. Moses like murdered an Egyptian and he failed in leadership, leading the children of Israel out. <laughs> and he had to wait 20 years. God sent him into the wilderness. And when you see Moses come out on the other side of the desert, you realize he's a different person. In fact, as scripture says, he was the most meekest person, had humility. It changed him. And he led in a different way. Hannah, you may not know the story of Hannah. It's fascinating. It ties into this story. Hannah, after years of infertility and, and unanswered prayer, and one unanswered answer prayer and off another unanswered prayer after another unanswered prayer, and the mocking that came from the second wife of her husband. And God finally hears her prayers. Eight years. Eight years of grief, of hurt, and pain in her life. And then God answers her prayers and gives her a son. And you know who her son was? Samuel. And Samuel would, would change an entire nation. Samuel would be the guy that would anoint David as king. And if you're waiting for God to do something in your life right now, change a situation. Restore a relationship. Bring a prodigal home. 
give you that job, do something in your marriage, look into your life and just answer whatever that prayer request is, I'm telling you, you can trust Him. You know what you do when you wait? Just what David did. Tend some sheep. Just be obedient. Just be faithful wherever God has placed you and wait for him. Do you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?